Good evening, Myland. How you doing? Better than the morning. That's all I'm going to say there. Um, you are on week three of a series of talks looking at uh, money and generosity. How's it going so far? Okay. <laughs> well, tonight uh, we are looking at the gift of generosity, uh, which if you talk to most Christians is like in the relegation zone of Christian gifts. But I'm here to tell you it's a good thing and you want it and I'm here to do you good. So um, I want to start by reading what the Bible says on this. So we're going to read uh, a passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It'll be on the screen for you to follow along. Uh, a guy called Paul is writing to a church in a place called Corinth, which is modern day Greece. And this is what he says. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Okay, what do we learn from this? Five things, one big point, and then four subpoints. so loads to get through. The first thing, and the big thing I want to say is this. Generosity really is a gift. It really is a gift. See that you excel, verse 7, in this gift or grace of giving. And the reason I say that, and the reason I want to start here, is I think for most of us, giving does not feel like much of a gift. Um, there is a sermon illustration I do around about every six or seven years in Christchurch, London, uh, and I'm going to do it again tonight. Um, what I'd like you to do is take out of your bag or your coat or your pocket um, your purse or wallet. Uh, if you don't have that, your bank card, uh, cash if you don't have that, and if you don't have any of that, your mobile phone, which I imagine uh, has your financial data on it. I want you to hold it in your hand. I want you to caress it, smell it, Hold it close to you. Just wave it in the air so I can see it. There we go. Lots of mobile phones. Wow. Um, what you're holding in your hand right now um, has the power to distract you from your walk with Jesus and dilute your walk of faith more than anything else in the whole world. Something so small, and yet it has so much power. It's like the ring of power. Okay? This is the precious right here. Now, what I'd like you to do is take what is in your hand and give it to the person next to you. Okay? Three, two, one, go. Can I have your, um, your wallet? Is this your wallet? Fantastic. Great. Great. How are we all feeling right now? Anyone feeling a little awkward and uncomfortable? I've got, I've got Joel Wade's wallet. Okay, band up. Let's take an offering. Come on, let's go. Buckets round. Um, cash. Oh, Daniel Williams. We're going to swap Joel Wade's wallet for cash. Fantastic. Now, how's everyone feeling right now? A bit awkward, a bit uncomfortable. Uh, this is how giving makes us feel, does it not? Um, I, am, I am married um, to the wonderful Joy, and she and I are at different ends of the spectrum 
when it comes to giving. My wallet basically lives under armed security guard in a locked safe, only I know the combination. It comes out twice a year. A family of moths happily lives inside. Joy, like, her wallet basically lives in a holster. Like, she's like, where can I pay? Here's my credit card. It's like killing me. Marriage is great, by the way. Don't worry, it's fantastic. But I say that because I want you to know I recognize the pain of giving. Like, if I give you money, I have less, you have more. It hurts. And, by the way, that's part of what the Christian faith is all about. Like, you get Resurrection Sunday, but not until you've been through Good Friday. Like, you get the power of the resurrection life of Jesus, but not before you have gone through the cross. I get that. However, what is interesting about these verses is you get absolutely none of that. In fact, what's interesting about this passage in particular is Paul is telling a church to give, and if you read this, you don't even know where the money is going. It's just giving is good for you. Now, because we have other New Testament letters, 1 Corinthians, Romans, Galatians in particular, we know where the money's going. It's going to another church in Jerusalem, which is going through a, a time of poverty. But here, you don't pick that up at all. It's just universally positive. Uh, the, the, the word that uh, Paul uses to describe giving here is the word charis. It's coming up on the screen. It means grace, kindness, life, salvation, gift, like the charisma of the Spirit. It means blessing. It's often used by Paul to refer to Jesus. You know the charis of our Lord Jesus Christ. He describes giving as overflowing joy. He describes it as a privilege. How often is that our experience? Giving may feel bad, my friends, but in the words of Paul, it's altogether good. If you and I give, we will be blessed. We will know life. We will find joy. And so as we do a series on giving, and as I talk about the gift of giving, if there is any grumbling or muttering in my own heart, like, firstly, I need to cut that out. And secondly, if Paul were here today, I think he'd say, Andy, you're doing it wrong. Like, if giving feels like that, you haven't figured out the power of giving yet. And if this is just one of those moments, one of those many moments, where there is just a big gap between like what the Bible says and my experience in life. And rather than relegating the Bible to my experience, I want to bring myself up to what the Bible says about how life really can be lived. So I want to spend the rest of this talk basically looking at how do we bridge that gap? How do I grow in giving to such an extent that this is my experience, that overflowing joy and a privilege is my experience of giving? And I want to suggest four things. Before I get into that, you may now give the ring back to Frodo, okay? It's okay, everyone. You can just relax. I'll just keep the cash right here. <laughs> Let me get Joel Wade's wallet back. Here we go. I'll keep Joel's wallet, though. That would be great. There we go. First thing I want to say, how do we bridge that gap? How do we grow in giving? Number one, uh, we need to realize that we are giving to God before we're giving to anyone or anything else. Uh, want to be clear that if you look at what the Bible says about giving, it's not giving to charity. That's not what giving is. Now, giving to charity is a great thing to do. Joy and I give to charity every single month. But that is different from how the Bible views giving. Now, I understand um, a couple of weeks ago, Joel was kicking off this series, and he talked about tithing, a tenth part of your income that's given to God through the church. And I, I won't repeat everything that uh, Joel said, uh, but that's the principle that I was taught as I was growing up. And interestingly, if you look at the tithing principles in the Old Testament, I think there's stuff to learn there. We're freed from the law now, but I think there's some really useful stuff to learn. Because if you look at the story of the people of God in the Old Testament, they actually didn't just tithe once. There were three tithes 
three ten percents that they gave. They're coming up on the screen. The first is the sacred tithe. We'll come to that in a moment. The second 10% of their income was called the feast tithe. It was 10% of their income that was set aside for the various celebrations in the calendar year and the trips to Jerusalem that were part of that. Uh, the closest approximation that I could give in kind of modern day terms would be putting aside money to go to something like the church retreat, which is taking place at the end of August. Like, I don't go to the church retreat to lie on a sun lounger and drink a pina colada. That's not what the church retreat is all about. It's good to take time out, to spend time with the family of God, to grow in our faith and relationship with God together. It's a feast tithe. The third tithe was collected every three years and was called the tithe for the poor. It did exactly what it said on the tin. Money put aside for the most disadvantaged in their community, meaning the average Jew would give around about 23 and a third percent of their income away every year. Yikes, I've got a lot of growing to do. I'm not there yet. But what's interesting is the first 10% of their income was seen as sacred. It's not my money to give away, it's God's. That's how they saw it. They did not give to the temple. They did not give to the priests. They gave to God, and God was seen to give to the priests and to the temple. And this principle, this spirit, was carried through into the New Testament church and into the church in Corinth. Verse 5, they gave themselves what? First of all to the Lord. I'm giving first and foremost to him. And this is why you get really challenging passages in the Bible, like in Malachi, where God's people have neglected the sacred tithe. They're not doing it anymore. And God says, you're robbing me. It's his have I ever been in danger of robbing God? Goodness. Now, as you guys are aware, we are one church in many locations. You're based here. Uh, we have a community in Sutton, two communities, in fact, that meet every Sunday, one in English, one in Cantonese at the same time. Both are growing rapidly at the moment. We've had another great start to the year, people finding faith, people joining every week. It's fantastic. But if people join our service and say, well, you know, I like your model of church, but, you know, if I want to give, I, I want to give to what's happening in Sutton. I don't want to give to what's happening in Mile End. I don't want to give to it like a, a new building or, you know, a mums and toddlers group. One of the things that I might think, though I might not say because I want to be pastoral and kind, but what I think is like when you give, like first and foremost, I'm not giving to a new kitchen in Mile End or whatever you guys might get up to. I'm giving to God. It's his. Like it's sacred to him. Let me try and explain it this way. Um, that really famous story at the start of... Genesis, where Adam and Eve do the one thing that God says, don't do that. Like, eat from any fruit, but don't take the fruit from that tree, and Adam and Eve go and do it. What's happening in that moment is, is way deeper than mere disobedience. What's happening in that moment is the worship of created things rather than the creator has begun. What humanity are doing through Adam and Eve is basically saying, you, God, are not the sole source of life and joy and power for me. I need this stuff too. I want to give myself to this. And when you think of it that way, look at the significance of the sacrificial system that God initiates through the Old Testament. What happens? People take created things that cost them something, like sheep and goats and calves, and they burn them before God. It's this powerful and profound way of saying, this is not the source of my life and provision and joy. You are. That's the power of giving. Giving to him, first of all. Uh, just one story I'd share here with, as, um, from a guy called Steve Nicholson, who uh, is a friend of Christchurch. He's spoken at Christchurch before. Actually led a church in Illinois in the States, uh, in the Vineyard Network of Churches. 
Uh, I've met him a few times. He was something of a mentor figure for, for Dave Stroud. And I remember him telling this story a number of years ago where their church, which was not dissimilar from, from Christchurch, was going through a really um, uh, significantly challenging time financially, so much so they did not have enough money to pay their staff at the end of the month. And Steve is praying one day thinking, what do I do? Like, how do we pay the staff? And as he's praying, he just has this kind of conviction, oh no, I think we need to give our way out of this crisis. And so he goes to the head of finance and he says, look, I know we don't have enough money to pay our staff, but could we give more money away? And she bursts out laughing and says, well, we haven't got enough money anyway, so I suppose more won't hurt. So they give more money away and by the end of that month, they not only have enough money to pay every member of staff, they have never been in that financial position ever again. And I remember Steve telling that story, and uh, he will never know this, but that became foundational for me in my walk with Jesus. I, I have been through times in my life where things have been really tight financially, like really tight. And I have made a decision in here, I'm not going to compromise in this area. Because as I give, it might hurt, but I am declaring in that moment, this created stuff is not the source of my salvation and provision. God is. He's a better provider and protector of me than money will ever be. So when I get money, the first bit, I just give to him. It's his. Now, I, I was born and raised with the principle of uh, tithing. 10% um, of my income, the first 10% of the gross, not the net, if you ever have that question, it's just his. I give it to him. And that's just been really helpful for me uh, in my walk of faith. Now, um, I don't want to impose uh, that on anybody. We're, we're freed from the law through Jesus, though I do think it's a really good principle. But I realize for many people, when they hear 10% or, or more, it's like, what? You kidding me? And my encouragement to you is, guys, don't get hung up on the number. Like, don't, don't let that be a stumbling block to you. My challenge to you, though, would be this. Like, just go home and say, God, what's the next step for me in the area of giving? Maybe it's just one or two percent more. Maybe you, like, you've, you've got tithing down. Like, yeah, yeah, the first ten percent is God's, but I won't give any more. Well, talk to God about that. Maybe it's about the discipline of regular giving, setting up a standing order. I really wrestled with God over that one. Uh, maybe it's about filling in a gift day form. There have been times in my life where I was just like, oh, I can't be bothered with that. It doesn't make a difference. And I'm like, no, I want to be responsible in every area when it comes to my money. And I, I just want you to know, like, just the way that I'm, I'm wired. Like, I, I can't come into church and sing the songs that we sing, which are very intimate. Like, have all of me and, and neglect what the Bible says in this really important area of life. Like, I want to give him everything. I can't stand before you with any integrity, like, without trying to live this out myself. Like, how do I bridge this gap between giving, like, oh, it hurts, and finding the overflowing joy and the privilege I need to remember, no, 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 this is sacred. First bit is his. That's the first principle. The second principle is this. How do I bridge that gap? I also give to people. I give to God, but then I also give to people. Verse 5, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord, but then also by the will of God also to us. What's symbolic about this? Well, one of the most famous verses in the Bible about giving, words uttered by Jesus, uh, Matthew 6, 24, I think Joel touched on this a couple of weeks ago. You cannot serve both God and money. God and money are fighting for our hearts and there can only be one winner. Only, as I'm sure you are aware, Jesus doesn't use the word money. He uses the word mammon. Uh, 
Mammon is basically a way of saying that there is almost like a demonic power, or there is a demonic power behind money that is fighting for our hearts. There's personality behind it. And one of the things that Mammon is going to do, and we could do a whole sermon series on the power of Mammon. In fact, Justin Welby, the Archbishop of Canterbury, wrote a book on this a couple of years ago, which is a really good read. Is like One of the things that Mammon is trying to do is separate power from relationship and abundance from dependence. Power from relationship and abundance from dependence. Let me explain what I mean. There's a brilliant thinker uh, called Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who sadly passed away a few years ago. He had a big, impa- a big impact on my life. And um, uh, he comes up with this brilliant analogy of comparing trying to build society as a home versus trying to build society as a hotel. When you build society as a home, uh, you see yourself as part of like a bigger inco- interconnected story. Like in, in my nuclear family, I'm, I'm like dependent on others. I was dependent on my mum and dad growing up. And now others are dependent on me. And what I do with my money is not just about me because I'm part of something bigger. And that works at a societal level as well. I am totally, and you are, totally dependent on other people, on medical professionals when you get sick. I'm dependent on the person to turn up to Starbucks to serve me my coffee when I'm thirsty. And they, in turn, are also dependent on my custom. You can apply it to, to everything. And so when I like, think about what I do with my money, like if I think about being part of a home, being part of an interconnected set of relationships, that's actually a very powerful dynamic. Rabbi Sachs says, in the West, that is not the kind of society we are building right now. We are building society more like a hotel. What happens in a hotel? The power of mammon is at work. Because what happens is I give my money and then other people do services for me, but there's no relational connection at all, and that allows me to live a pretty autonomous life. I pay my taxes, I get a certain amount of services, and and I can live a pretty independent life. Like There's distance when it comes to relationship. Uh, Let me try and explain it this way. Um, I have moved house a number of times in my life. My favorite way of moving house is when I have enough money and I pay some very nice people to box up my stuff, put it in a van, take it to my new place. If I have enough money, unbox it all. And if I have enough, I don't even have to talk to them. It's amazing. Well, um, through my life, I've not always had that much money or I've chosen to save money there. So what happens if I try and move house in those circumstances? I'm, I'm more dependent on others. I've got to do it as part of a community. Now, um, I'm a very independent person, and I don't like asking for help when I'm moving home. And there's a very good reason for that. I, like, I, I don't want to trouble you. You're busy people. Like, I don't want to inflict that on you. You've got things to do, people to see. Like, don't bother helping me. But there's also a very sinful reason for me not wanting to ask you to help me move home. Because if I ask for your help to help me move home, then the day may well come when you move home and you think, I think I'm going to ask Andy. I don't want to help you. I've got better things to do. Rabbi Sachs would say that kind of dependence and vulnerability is altogether good for us. Like That's what builds a family. And Mammon is trying to break that. And one of the most powerful ways you can bring down the power of Mammon is by giving. And so here's the challenging question I want to ask you, is as we build this church together, are you building a hotel or are you building a home? Are you giving your money because, oh, I like the teaching in this church, so I'll give. 
like, oh, I love the kids' work programs, the amazing array of pastoral courses. I find some, like, you know, cool people there. I'll, I'll give my money. Are, are you paying for a service? Like, if, if you are, here's, here's a test. Like, are, are you a big critic of church? Are you a connoisseur of churches? If you live that way, what will happen is you will be increasingly distance from other people and mammon will rob you of joy or are we building a home here you see if I'm building a home when I give my money like it's far deeper than simply like I'm just I'm just giving for all the things the church does no there's something deeper that connects us in my nuclear family like I'm, I'm giving for my family's good I'm, like when they annoy me, it's like all families annoy you. I don't say, well, I will withdraw funding. Like, you, like I'm not going to feed you anymore. No, because there's something deeper that connects us. That's what we're building together. Like, I know I'm not here lots because I've got a different part of London that I'm mainly ministering in. But I want you to know I am totally for you. I love you to bits. Like Joel and I, I said this this morning, like we are friends. But in the family of God, there is something deeper that connects us. Like when, when he annoys me, which he does, no, there's something deeper there. I'm connected to him and his stupid beard and his, his full head of hair and his big, big head. Like we're, we're linked somehow. Like that's the family that we're building. And I feel like I want to call you guys, like let's build a home, not a hotel, shall we? Like as we give, let's break the power of mammon. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, but then by the will of God also to us. Number three, how do we bridge this gap between giving, feeling, oh, and giving being overflowing joy? You practice. You practice. See that you excel in this gift of giving. This is something you can get good at. To the extent that, actually, Paul goes on to say, you can actually end up comparing yourself with other people. H how do you get good at something? Well, the simple thing is, is you just practice. You have to give it a go and then give it a go again, which means, obvious point, when you start off on the journey of giving, uh, often you're not very good. Like, when I learned to drive a car, like, it was a mess. You know, I bunny hopped down the road. I put on the windscreen wipers when it should have been the indicator. But the more I practiced, the better I got. And giving works that way. But when you start out, it's hard. And I want to encourage you to push through. There's a great speaker in the States called Tony uh, Campolo, who spent a lot of his ministry actually traveling across America uh, preaching, and I um, am a big fan of his. And uh, he tells a story as he was kind of learning this journey of giving, where um, uh, he, he traveled for a guest preach, and often when you're a guest preacher, uh, you will get given a kind of financial gift by the church. So he's gone to preach in this church, and before he preaches, the, the leader of the church is encouraging the congregation to give to a particular project. And he feels God say, I want you to give the money that you would get for this preach back to the church. And Tony's like, no, I don't want to do that. Um, amongst other things, he was saving for a new car. He said, I had a car that was 22 years old. It was on the brink of death. And I needed it for my ministry. I needed it to drive across America and, you know, and, and preach. And he felt God say, give this gift to the church and I will look after your needs. So Tony said, I decided to do a little deal with God. I said, I'll tell you what, God. Um, I will give you the gift for this preach back to the church. And as long as you keep this car running, I will give every other guest preach gift back to you. But the moment that car dies, that money is mine. Deal? And he didn't really feel God say anything, so he took that as a yes. 
Uh, and he said, honestly, I, I expected that car to die any day. I mean, the transmission was shot, like the, the, the gearbox was really clunky, it was basically falling apart, but the car was about to die, the money was about to be mine. But he said, whatever I tried, that car would not die. Like 23 years old, 24 years old, 25 years old, he's going to give these gifts preaches. Oh, the money's going back to them, like, the car, die. He said once, he was, he was preaching at a church, and as he got on the, uh, the road where the church was, he accidentally hit the curb, and the tire burst, and the wheel arch got dented, and he kind of ground to a halt on the side of the road. He's like, yes, the car's dead. The money for this preach will be mine. So he goes into the church, gives the preach. While he's preaching, a member of the congregation sees the car that's damaged, calls a mechanic, gets them out to fix the car, pays the mechanic. The mechanic goes. Tony finishes the preach. He gets the envelope with the chicken. The money's mine now. Congregation member comes to him and says, hey, Tony, surprise, we fixed the car. Uh, to which he said, and I quote, why don't you just mind your own business? <laughs> now, the reason I tell that story is when you start out on the journey of giving, like it often feels that way. I want to encourage you to push through. Like when I started out on my journey of giving, I was grumpy, I was reticent. I remember being really super spiritual, like, oh, I, I don't think that's in the Bible. I didn't see that. I was, I was really arrogant about it. And just God's taught me, this is an adventure. Like, don't just give. Like, get outstanding at giving. And I want you to know, I have proved this to be true personally. I, I have found just, like, God provide in just the most amazing and wonderful ways. As, as I've grown in this area, I've had mysterious amounts of money arrive in the post. I've come to my car, and there's been envelopes on the front of my car full of cash. I've had complete strangers call me and say, hi, you don't know me. I was praying, I got your number. Um, I feel I should transfer you some money right now. Is that okay? I had one guy call me, he's called Benny. I don't know his surname. If you know a Benny, I really want to meet Benny. Uh, he doesn't live in the UK. He's like, um, hi, I'm Benny, you don't know me. I was praying, um, I'd like to pay for a holiday for you and your family. Would that be okay? Uh, once, uh, Joy and I were in Christchurch. We'd not long been married. And we decided to give, on top of our regular giving, a gift of 300 pounds to church. And um, we were really tight at the time. I remember, I remember a huge row that Joy and I had over a tank of fuel and whether we could afford it or not. I mean, that, that's how tight things were. So this, this was not insignificant. And we, and we put it in the offering, and I just remember it vividly. It was our first like, damp flat, and we had Tesco value pizza that evening. Um, but like, we, we thought, no, I, we're going to trust God in this. The following morning, um, I put on my coat to go out. In the pocket of my coat was 300 pounds. And I don't know how it got there. But the point is, when I started on this journey, I had none of these stories. I've got a long way to go. But I have begun to discover the adventure that Jesus invites us on in this area. And so I want to call you, don't just give, like get excellent at giving. Like Paul says, you can compare yourself with others. Like I, I said this morning, I believe for you, you could be the second best service in Christchurch when it comes to this area of life, okay? Like you're never going to beat Sutton, okay? But you can be second best. I believe that for you, okay? Like you can do that, guys. I, I charge you, give this a go and see what your God will do. Like how do we bridge this gap? Number one, it's his, it's sacred. Like that mentality has really helped me. Number two, I want to break the power of mammon. Let's build a, a family, a home, not a hotel. Number three, we practice. Like, let's get good at this. And then number four, and this is what Paul is building up to, 
um, we give out of response to what Jesus has first done for us. He says this, guys, you, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. When I know the enormity of what Jesus has done for me, like how, how can you not give? Uh, I love stories and their, their power to communicate gospel truth. So here's, here's one for you. Um, it's about a lady called Mary Johnson. Uh, she lives in uh, Minneapolis in the US. And in 1993, her son was very tragically shot and killed. He was murdered by O'Shea Israel. And O'Shea was found guilty of second-degree murder and sentenced to 25 years in prison. So he didn't get out that long ago. And he's from a broken background himself. So as he's approaching release, he's like, I've got nothing. What do I do? And so he met Mary Johnson, and he begged her for forgiveness. He killed her son. What's she going to do? And she looks him in the eye, and she says this, of course I forgive you. She embraces him, and she says this, you don't have anyone. You will now be, to me, a son. This is extraordinary. Guys, this is our story. That when it comes to God, we, we brought nothing to the table. Like, while we were still sinners, like broken, selfish, like just focused on ourselves, while we're in that state, Jesus died for us. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, we were poor, we had nothing, and he gave everything for us. I'm going to show you a clip of these uh, guys in a moment. But as, as I do, I want to encourage you, see yourself in O'Shea's shoes. This is you, this is, this is me. And at the end of this clip, there's this wonderful moment where Mary Johnson embraces O'Shea. In that moment, imagine God embracing you. In your brokenness, and my selfishness, and all our sin, J just imagine that. This clip is two minutes long. Let's play it now. As far as receiving forgiveness from you, sometimes I still don't know how to take it because I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. It's something that I'm learning from you. I won't say that I have learned yet because it's still a process that I'm going through. I treat you as I would treat my son. And our relationship is beyond belief. We live next door to one another. Yeah. So you can see what I'm doing. You know, firsthand. Mm -hmm. We actually bump into each other all the time, leaving in and out of the house. And you know, our conversations, they come from, boy, how come you ain't called over here to check on me in a couple of days? <laughs> you ain't even asked me if I need my garbage to go out. Uh -huh. I find those things funny because it's a relationship with a mother for real. Well, my natural son is no longer here. I didn't see him graduate. You know, you're going to college. I'll have the opportunity to see you graduate. I didn't see him get married. Hopefully one day I'll be able to experience that with you. And just to hear you say those things and to be in my life in the manner in which you are is my motivation. It motivates me to make sure that I stay on the right path. You still believe in me. And the fact that you can do it despite how much pain I cause you, it's amazing. I know it's not an easy thing, you know, to be able to share our story together. So I admire that you can do this. I love you, lady. I love you too, son.
My prayer for this series is not that you give more money. My prayer for this series is that we get to encounter God like that. That's my deep longing. You know, I talked earlier about those moments in the Old Testament where people would take created things and burn them before God. And often there are moments where those sacrifices are particularly meaningful and costly. And in those moments, God often meets people by fire. He consumes the sacrifice. That's kind of picture for the kind of encounter with God that I am longing for through this series. Like this series is not about money. It's about devotion to Jesus. And as we give ourselves to him, I'm praying for like powerful encounters. Like as a church, we're carrying this longing for revival. I mean, doesn't our nation and our world need it right now? And we live with this conviction that in anticipation of what God might do, that we need to call the church to holiness. That we need to call the church to devotion to him. That's what this is really about. Like what we do with our money, it, it's just symbolic of something far deeper. God, just take me. And as I give myself to you, now meet us with power. That's what I'm praying for. How do we bridge this gap between giving, feeling like, oh, don't want to do it, grumble, and overflowing joy? Number one, well, it just helps me to think this is his. It's all his, really. Number two, I want to break the power of mammon. I want to build a home, not a hotel. Number three, I want to practice. I don't want to just give. I want to get excellent at this. It's life to be found here. And number four, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, we were just broken and poor. We were O'Shea Israel, and God just said, I'm going to lay down my life for you. And so what I want to do as we finish is just leave a moment for us to say, Jesus, I'm yours. If you want to say that in your heart. I wonder if I can invite the band up, and um, could we all stand to our feet? Would that be Okay. We're going to sing a closing song of worship where we just praise our great and glorious King in a moment. And this is just an opportunity to express in song our just adoration of him and how great he is and what he's done for us. You know the charis of our Lord Jesus Christ. But before we do that, I just want to leave a moment for you to say in your own heart, okay, God, here's the parts of my life where I'm not fully devoted to you. Father, I, in my mind's eye, just bring to mind again that image of Mary Johnson hugging O'Shea Israel and just the tenderness and gentleness of that moment. I want to pray that we just experience your love like that right here, right now. That we bring nothing to the table, really. Everything is yours. While we were still sinners, you died for us. It's just extraordinary. It's amazing, amazing grace and love. And so we want to respond to this and say, here we are. Have it all. across this room right now 
Jesus, you look at every heart. Wherever anyone is saying, okay, Jesus, this, this hurts, but here I am. Will you run to meet us? May the fire of your spirit just come and connect with us now. May the life of God be something that we experience in this room. And I want to pray that as this happens as a community in Mile End, that this becomes a place where the life and power of God is so potent that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lives get changed as a result. May revival not be something that we read about in history books, but experience in our lifetime, because we are a people who've just given it all to you. So come meet us now, I pray. May the sweetness of your presence fill this place. May the joy and life of God be here. Come, Spirit of God. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's use this song now to give ourselves to Him again.